boss mode. We are two best friends who happen to be psychic mediums. We do readings, we teach, we mentor, and we love to laugh. Yeah, and you know what? We love to cry too because we're heartstring pulling leather truckers. Oh, ooh, warning. This is rated E for explicit. So if you don't like the word fuck, you should probably turn your ass around. Turn it around. Don't look back, run. But if you're sticking around, it's time for another episode of I'm a Medium. Ask me how. Matthew Tao. Dana Willie. Dana Willie. Oh, Dana Willie, this is going to be a good episode. We have the amazing Hospice Nurse Julie with us. Welcome, Hospice Nurse Julie. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Hello. So nice to see your beautiful faces. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you for coming on. You have, I had the pleasure of getting to know you. It was probably about a year ago, right? Yeah, and you just came on. I you had this impetus to just like I'm going to come on to social media and start talking about hospice and death and dying, and you've changed the conversation. And I just have mm-hmm. to applaud you um, for the work that you've done. But we want more people to know about the work that you're doing, and more people to have the conversation. So thank you for coming on here because. It's the thing that people don't want to talk about, right? right? Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Mm-mm. I always say that we're like post post uh, passing, and then Julie's like yeah. passing. So <laughs> it's like it marries itself in a really beautiful way. But I think a lot of people get confused on like what hospice actually is. So Julie, do you mind going over like what hospice uh, is and what it yes. is? Yes. So. I like to speak about it in generalities because I could really do like a whole hour long podcast explaining what the in like the the ins and outs of hospice, right? Mm-hmm. That would actually be pretty boring <laughs> and people wouldn't want to know because it's super <laughs> regulated, just FYI, because it's federally funded, right? It is a government uh, federally funded program. So it's through Medicare. So we have a lot of things I could, I could go through exactly what it means to be on hospice. That would be boring and horrific. You wouldn't want to sit through that. But in general, hospice is a program to me about living. And I think people think I'm being like, I'm trying to be like foo-foo about it. Like hospice is about living because most people think it's about dying. But I truly mean that because it is a program for people who are at the end of their life you have to have a terminal diagnosis with usually about less than six months to live. Now that is very gray, meaning that you could die before six months. You could definitely live longer than six months. It just Mm -hmm. depends, but you do have to have some kind of quote unquote terminal diagnosis with less than six months to live. So it is a, it is a program you go on where you will eventually die. But the whole point of hospice is to help you live out the rest of your life, usually in your home, usually with healthcare coming to you. And it's all about symptom management. So it's not about what's actually happening in the body, why it's happening. It's more about like, it's happening. Let's see if we can do something about it to make you more comfortable. So you can go to the amusement park with your family that you've been planning on going to the past week, right? So like things like that. So you can actually live your life. Mm -hmm. So it's a program that's federally funded. So it's free where we provide certain things. So so someone can live in their home and die when they die peacefully with their family and friends around. 
Does that make sense? It's a little, Um, I know it's so long-winded. I don't know how to like get it down. No, no, it's not long-winded, but I love that look at it because it's not, but it's having a beautiful end of life and a celebration of life, right? But it's also about helping the person who's dying. But what I love about the hospice program is it's also a support for the family because I feel like Mm -hmm. there's such a heavy burden on the family as somebody is dying and I feel like it helps support the family as yes, well. It, that, that is, that is true. I still, I feel like we could grow a little more. Like I wish, um, we could provide 24 hour care so the family can just be with their loved one. Now, if you're at home on hospice, your family is doing a lot of the work, a lot of the work, but we do, um, supply tons of support, 24 hour numbers. You can call, seven days a week, holidays, weekends, two in the morning, and a nurse can come to the house and check what's happening, whatever you're witnessing, right? If it feels scary or different, you can call a number and a nurse can come. So we're super available and we are very helpful, but I do think there's still some uh, growing we could could do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yes, we are, the whole point is to be helpful and supportive to everyone involved. Well, I think it's it's nice for the family members to know that they can have that comfort of life. And I think that's where a lot of people get confused is that they're going into like this retirement community where they're they're never going to see their loved one again. But, you know, it gives people a way to kind of go yeah. gracefully, right? And go on, the, on their own terms. And I think everybody wants to do that. And so thank you. And, and it's a thankless job because I get to see uh, a lot of your videos and a lot of your friend Penny's videos on just how much education that you guys constantly have to do around hospice because it does have, it's very, it's very, it's very great. And, and uh, even in our own, even in our own healthcare system, I, I argue, which I hate to do, but I do it sometimes because I get so upset, <laughs> argue in my comment section with doctors doctors. They are actual medical doctors and they are saying these negative things about hospice. And it's just like, I can't believe even in our own healthcare system, we have this myth and this misunderstanding about what hospice is. It's wild. You know, I think that's why like myself and nurse Penny, I think that's why we have a big following on social media because it's like a missing part. It's like a missing part. People are not educated about it in general. Um, Now, and hopefully that will change, you know, but yeah, we have a lot of a lot of work to do. (laughs) But I think that's the beauty of it. You know, I think we're, well, and it's part of how we're built, right? We're built to survive. Our whole body and everything is built to survive. And our medical system is like, save them at all costs, right? Like save them at all costs. And I think our doctors are also trained to save them at all costs, do every measure possible to save them, right? And so it's a paradigm shift for them to like, what What do you mean? Um, so it's the, it's the education that they also need. And it's also, I, I have to go back to what I said at the beginning of this podcast, nobody likes talking about death, especially in our society. It's such a taboo topic. And nobody wants to talk about death or dying until they want to see a medium because they want to connect with their mm. loved one that's passed or somebody is dying and they have a hospice care worker and they have all these questions. And so I love the work that you do. And hopefully, you know, we do some stuff too, that we we're having these conversations so that people are better equipped when it's time. Cause it's, it's the one guarantee in life. We're all going to mm-hmm. die and we're all going to have somebody around us that dies. Yep. Couldn't agree more, Dana. 
I, I have a question. So like, what's your biggest piece of advice for family members that are considering hospice and going into that? Like what, what's one big like chunk that they could like walk away from being like, okay, I'm prepared. Oh man, there are so many avenues I could go with that question. I think if you're questioning if I should do it or not, right? Like is hospice like the right road to take right now? Um, One, know that you can always come off hospice. So like, even if you decide to go on to hospice, it's not like, and now you're stuck forever. You can't leave. Like it's, it's literally a phone call away to come off hospice and restart whatever you want to restart and do. Right. So know that it's not like, it's not, Mm -hmm. you're not, it's not final. You could always come off. You don't have to be stuck on there. It's truly just to help you. But the other thing is, is I think we like the denial of death is really big. Like you said, we're all built to survive. And there's this denial that it's actually going to happen. Um, Even if someone's saying to you, you have this terminal illness, we've done everything we can. There's nothing more we can do. There's still this like denial part where I think if you could really just get honest with yourself, which is really hard. I'm not saying that's easy. And sometimes, you know, uh, but get honest with yourself about what you would like your life and death to look like. Just ask yourself that question. What would you like your life and death to look like? Mm -hmm. And most people are not going to be like struggling to the end and denying it at all costs and suffering in the hospital and, and never getting to say my goodbyes because I can't, uh, I can't accept that I'm dying. Like no one is really going to say that. I don't think. And if you are going to say that, then go for it. I want you to do what you want. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think most people would say, Mm -hmm. I would want to be at home. (laughs) I'd want to be with my family. I would want to be with my dog or whatever it is. I want to go to the cabin. I don't know. Like, so Mm -hmm. I think it's just really important (laughs) to um, try not to deny the fact that you're dying. And then if you can not deny it, ask yourself what you'd want your last six months or whatever to look like. And most people um, would have an image of that, right? And then do that image, whatever it is, mm-hmm. if you can. Yeah, I love that. that and I love that that you can change your mind. I, I love that because that gives it a little bit more, like there is finality, obviously, in what we're talking about, but there's like a release of like, okay, if I don't like it, I can change my mind tomorrow. And that gives empowerment to people of like, I, I'm... I'm taking control. There's something also when I think you're terminal in something, you feel like control has been taken away from mm-hmm. you. It's almost you getting to take control of your yes. death. And I think this is, so people always ask me if my job's depressing. Isn't it so depressing? The only thing that's depressing is when you see someone in that denial, like you see someone there and you know, because I've seen this a million times over, um, that because of that, they're going to suffer. And so will the, their loved ones and them, they will, they will suffer because they feel, and I don't want to like victim blame. I don't want to, it feels like I'm like blaming this. I, I get it. I, it's like, yeah. but this is why I'm so passionate about it. I want to tell everybody like, let's start thinking about this now because the most depressing and the hardest part of my job is when people are in denial and mm-hmm. they're refusing the help or they're refu- they they might they almost were almost some people are almost forced onto hospice because there's literally nothing else to do and the hospital's being like listen you can't stay here like so this is your option mm-hmm. then they go onto hospice without fully receiving the care because they refuse to believe what's going on and in the end they suffer and so do their loved ones and that's when it's really hard and that's what makes me want to like scream at the mountaintops that it's so important to think about this, even though it seems like we just shouldn't, you know, if we don't think about it, it's not going to happen. And, uh, it's just, 
not true. <laughs> and the more we think about it, the better it goes, usually. It's crazy because yesterday I had a reading, and I don't like to talk about details about a reading, but uh, the gentleman that I was speaking to on the other side had fear around passing. And so he held off as long as he could. And then when his acceptance kicked in, he got a little freaked out because he accepted it. And it was been like the point where his fear wasn't necessarily around his demise. It was around his family's yeah. perception of what they were seeing. And he was like, I was completely fine, but the visuals to see me crossing over were difficult yes. to watch. And he's like, I wish I could have done it sooner. So I could have prepared my family and had more education around that. So um, it, it wow. comes through on the other side as well. Oh, <laughs> it was really, it was really ironic. Right? Now we're talking about this and I'm like, Are wait a minute. <laughs> it's like spirit was getting you ready. Yeah, right? Spirit was like, wait up, wait up for Julie. And, and also I think too, that's why it's important to learn about how, like you just said, like how death, death looks, right? People I hear all the time. One of the main mm-hmm. things I hear is my loved one suffered so much. It was horrific. I'm traumatized by it. They were doing this, this, and this, you know, like they, their skin looked weird. Their eyes were open. Their mouth was open. They were breathing noisy. They, they had these weird gaspy breaths. They were, you know, it was horrific. And that's like what death looks like. Mm. It wasn't horrific. I, mean, I don't want to, mm-hmm. I don't want to yeah. take, I don't want to not validate how they felt. I'm sure they felt like it was horrific because they don't know what it looks like. And they think that mm-hmm. that equals yeah. suffering. And it's just not true. <laughs> it's just not true for the most part. Right. So going into that, I would love to hear like, what are normal stage? I mean, everybody's death is unique to a certain degree, right? But there are some normalcies that we're going to experience in a quote unquote natural passing. So what are some of those things that we might expect? It's not this, Dana Willis. Oh, it's like. Okay, that's Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) You just say something nice and soft and then close your eyes and die. I'm like, oh my God, when I watch that on TV, I'm like, don't marry her. (laughs) I've had some people write it and say, like, their loved ones actually did do that. I was like, you know what? Everyone's different. What I get, okay, so in general, especially during the actively dying phase, which is, you know, a few hours to a few days. I've seen someone actively die for like two weeks, which is, which is abnormal, but like, you know, it's the very end Mm -hmm. stage. Most everyone looks the same. That's when, that's when like the commonalities kick in during the actively dying phase, no matter what disease you're dying from. And you are usually fully unconscious. So Deep, deep sleep, fully unconscious, not responding to tactile stimulation. Not that you should do that, but you know, you're not responding. You wouldn't squeeze someone's hand if they said, squeeze my hand, right? So you're fully unconscious. You're not eating and drinking. Your eyes and mouth are usually open or partially open. So that's where you can look a little weird because your eyes are a little open and it looks like, but no one's home. So it makes your loved ones kind of like, they look a little freaky, right? Their mouths can be open, so they look a little gaunt. Their color can change. Their breathing patterns always change. Always. They are always going to breathe differently. And that is truly just a metabolical thing going on in the body because it's dying. So it's nothing to do with Mm -hmm. how they're feeling or what's going on. Their body is just slowly dying. So it's changing how it breathes. We're not used to seeing that. So it freaks people out, right? And then you get Mm -hmm. gurgly breath. Uh, or like the death rattle, they say. It's actually called terminal secretions. It's really benign, but it sounds so awful and people just associate it with other things. So 
it's usually just spit collecting in the mouth. And because your mouth's open and you have cold air going over it because your mouth breathing, it makes a gurgling noise. So people really think it's awful and bothering the person. And then it's just not. It's just a normal part. Um, sometimes you can have temperature changes. So cold and hot. Um, that's really it. Those are, those are the main things. Those are the main things. And of course, there's other things here and there. In general, like a dying body is like going through a process, right? So it's going to do some strange things sometimes. And for the most part, it's all normal. It's all normal. As long as they look comfortable, we're going to go with it. And how do we know if they look comfortable? Because they're laying there. You know what I mean? If they're not like, they're doing some, something like this or they're really tight, I would say they're probably not comfortable. Let's give them something to help them relax. But in general, if they're doing those things and they look still really relaxed and kind of limp, they're okay. They're okay. And you're just not used mm-hmm. to seeing it. So it can make you feel a little mm-hmm. uncertain and, and, and scared. Yeah. I think, I think another part of the death and dying process that really confuses people is when they get that second wind of energy where it's like they'll walk around and it's like a normal yeah. day. Uh, can you explain a little bit more about that to prepare? Yeah. So it that? happens in about 30% of all of our patients. So like one in three people will experience this and they can be very close to death. So it's usually someone who is usually not actively dying. I don't see it very often when they're actually actively dying, but every once in a while people surprise me, but it's usually right before they're like sleeping 20 hours a day, barely eating, barely talking. And then suddenly they have a really good day and it can vary how really good it is. But some people are like up, like you said, up walking, wanting a burger, wanting their favorite milkshake. They usually get their old personality back. So there's like some spunk or sassiness if they were, you know, whatever their personality was, right. It's kind of back. And this can last anywhere from a few Mm -hmm. hours to a few days, any more than a few days. I would say it's not the rally. It's something else going on. Um, It's usually a few hours to a day or so. And then they suddenly die afterwards. So it's kind of like they have this really, really good day, really good. And then they go to sleep and then they die the next day. And that Mm -hmm. is just called, Terminal lucidity is like the actual name. We call it the rally or the surge because of what happens. It's like a rally or a mm-hmm. surge. And we do not know why it happens. There's always there's always theories, of course, burst of hormones, you know, um, like adrenaline or uh, different things. But we don't actually know. They haven't tested it out. So we don't really know. But we know what happens in about one third of all of our patients. So that's a lot. It's yeah. kind of a gift. It's an absolute gift. But it can be, um, if you don't know what's happening, it can be a mm-hmm. huge disappointment because you're like, you, you build your hope up. They're doing better. Oh my gosh, this is going so great. And then, because it's as high as the high is, the low is very yes. low. I think that's why education is, I don't like, I still will do it, but I don't like when it's like we're educating in the moment, right? Because like they're so happy that this is happening. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, wah, wah, just FYI, this is probably the rally. Mm-hmm. So I always, I still do because I think it's fair to make sure everyone understands what's happening so they can all embrace the moment uh, and know what to expect next usually. Uh, but I always try to educate prior to it happening, whether it happens or not, just so mm-hmm. they know, hey, if you, if all of a sudden they have this sudden burst know that, you know, it's amazing. Let, let's use, let's utilize this time, but know that their body could be dying soon after. Yeah. Well, I think the greatest lesson in that, whether it's the the surge or the rally, or it's just, they're having a good day or they're alert at whatever time, enjoy those moments with your loved one and, and just relish and enjoy yeah. them. And really, um, like there's certain diseases, like I get call, um, like DMs on Instagram and stuff all the time where 
like dementia specifically, right? That disease, you are going to have a lot of up and down. So sometimes people will be like, my mom was sleeping 20 hours a day. Now she's having really good days. Is this the rally? Is she dying soon? And it's, it's hard because I'm trying to educate generally, right? So it's going to not fit everyone's life. So I don't want people to take my information and then put it exactly on their loved one for sure. You know, because it's, it depends. It really does. Especially with something like dementia, that person is up and down, good, bad days all the time. It doesn't necessarily mean anything. Right. And that's Mm -hmm. really hard because you have to live (laughs) in this uncertainty of like what's happening. And you said it perfect, Dana. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you can learn anything, which is hard for me too, but it's like, you have to take each day at a time and that's it. <laughs> that's it. Like there's, you have to live in uncertainty and just take each, each day as it comes. Yeah. So that th- this has all been amazing information. Um, one of the things that I always, that I've heard, and I don't know if you can validate this or not, but I've heard medically that hearing is like the last thing that goes. Do you know if that's true or not? So I have heard that too. So <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, I, I feel like it's hard to truly say we can confirm. There has been studies with EEGs uh, on people's, on dying people's brain that show that the, the part of the brain that uh, uses hearing or controls hearing is the last thing to kind of shut off. So we do think hearing is the mm-hmm. last to go. Um to what extent, I don't know. Or if someone's like already deaf, like someone said, like my grandpa was really hard of hearing, you know, it's like, no, I don't think they get their hearing back. But we do think that hearing sensor mm-hmm. sensor of the brain does shut down last. And people who have been intubated and sedated and then have come out of that and lived have said, I could hear. I could hear people. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like this scary thing of like, I could hear and not respond. It was like a comforting, I could hear, I could kind of sense what was going on. I was like in and out. I could hear someone singing. So we do think in general, even though someone's not responding to us or we think they're um, not fully aware, we do think hearing is the last thing. So I always say, yeah, don't act like they're not there in the room. You know, talk to them, talk like they're there, um, say all the things you need to say um, because we do think they can hear you. Yeah, that made it made me think of that because I did a reading yesterday and the loved one came forward and said, you you didn't think that I heard what you said, but I heard what you said. And it made me think of of that hearing that that hearing was the last thing yeah. to go. So I was mm-hmm. curious if if that was true or not, but that's that's fascinating. Um so let's get woo for yeah, a second. Because I, I know you you get a little woo. Yeah, you know um, you've spoken <laughs> um, you've spoken about being in the space where where somebody's dying as as being sacred. Um, of just feeling something different in the space when you're walking in and and somebody is transitioning um and dying. Can you can you talk on that a little bit? Yeah. Um, that's one of the reasons why I don't fear death and why I don't think death is the worst thing. Um, and the best way, it's really hard to describe, right? Cause it's kind of otherworldly, but the way I could describe it is that it feels infinite. It feels like time stands still. It feels like this sacred moment of like, um, if there were an afterlife or a place. So to me, like an afterlife is, is going, is is a place that I would call home. And when I get there, I'm going to, going to remember that I've always been like, this is, this is my home. And that's kind of how mm-hmm. it feels in that moment. It feels like that. It feels like I can feel that place when I'm that, when I'm with this dying person, it's like closer to me so much so that I could like weep with like 
kind of a feeling of homesickness, but also like beauty and like, oh, my, there you are, you know? And, and it's just like that when babies, when I see babies being born, uh, I always laugh and joke about how I'm like such a weirdo. Like if I, if I watched a baby being born, instant, instant weeping. Like I cannot not cry because it's so beautiful. And, or even looking at a brand new baby, it's like, I can feel, like I always say, it's like they've come on like wings of an angel. Like I can just feel it. And that's how it feels when someone's dying. That is how it feels when someone's mm-hmm. dying. And I think I can, and I don't really know, but I think I can feel it a little more because it's not my grief. That's not my mom yet dying in bed. So I'm not like mm-hmm. consumed with the grief of losing her. So all I see is like, I get chills now thinking about it, is all I feel is like the truth. That makes me want to cry. I, can, I always cry when I, the truth of everything. <laughs> I can describe yeah. it, the truth of everything. That's what it feels like. And it's the most beautiful thing ever. And yeah, that's how I would describe it. <laughs> it's a re it's a reunion. Yeah. It yeah. really is. And um, I know in the uh, death and dying process that they'll oftentimes see people that aren't there mm-hmm. and it'll feel real to them. And I truly believe in my experience with spirit and communicating to the other side that it really is. It really is. And we just get adjusted and, and we prepare. And when it's time, you can feel spirit enter mm-hmm. and you can feel spirit exit. And it's a very, like, very beautiful thing um, because I've, I've got to witness somebody cross over and it's just the room changes yeah. in this very beautiful yeah. way. And when they're gone, it still has that subtle piece to it, but it's yes, empty. Exactly. It's, it's really, it's beautiful. You described it perfect. Yep. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, do, how often do they experience uh, spiritual? I don't even know what to call this because I feel it's I a thing. Yeah. <laughs> but seeing people that are are not visible to the eye. Yeah, I wish I could. I wish I, I, I could put a it. number to it. Like I wish I could say, like with I could say with somewhat certainty with the rally, right? One in three patients see it. Like I think it's been investigated a little more with the mm-hmm. rally. Um, because it's, because it's this thing where they're seeing the unseen, I think it's not documented as much. I've heard numbers as close to like 80% of all people are, you know, but I can't say with certainty. Uh, mm-hmm. and I don't know like those sources. Right. So I don't want to just like blurt out a number, but in, but my experience, <laughs> I mean, I would say like most people, it's not, it's not like a once in a while thing. I mean, most people. And, and, and maybe, maybe sometimes medical providers will say to me, oh, that's never happened to me. Our hospice nurses are like, none of my patients have ever said that to me. Um, and I think, and not that we need to go around asking them, are you seeing dead loved ones? Are you seeing dead relatives? But what I, yeah. what I've been doing is reading through, um, Barbara Carnes's book, which is only 13 pages, like gone before my sight, talking about different things that are happening. And when I do that, because one of the things is seeing the unseen dead relatives, pets, loved ones, people will go, Oh, well, that's already happening. You know? So it's like when you give them the opportunity, not that you have to, but if you give them the opportunity to tell you what's going on, majority of people have already experienced that. They'll go, Oh, that's already happened. My dad and my mom came to me last night, blah, 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 blah. Or the loved one will say, oh, that's already happening. He tells me all the time. He's talking to his uncle Louie, who's been dead for whatever, 30 years, you know? So um, I think now because I'm less afraid to mention it or bring it up as like something you may see, I get a lot of feedback. Mm -hmm. And it's Mm -hmm. almost everybody. 
It's mm-hmm. so cool. It's so cool. It's almost like because uh, I believe that mediumship is the simplest thing your soul knows how to do. And I feel like when you're more towards the um, dying process, your soul starts to go, oh, oh, I know this. This is easy. And and so it's a little bit more relaxing. Uh, I've had people ask me, well, what would I do? I'm just ask them about it like it's a normal conversation. Normalize it. Don't make them feel like, oh, you're not seeing them. Just ask them how yes, they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know. Go with it for sure. Go with it. And you know, I think there's a mis- yeah, misconception too where some people are already kind of confused and disoriented when this happening, but most people aren't. Most people are just as kind of surprised mm-hmm. as anyone else um, mm-hmm. and wondering what's going on. So, yeah, just talk about it. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, when it's normalized and when it's understood, like, okay, this is normal. I think a lot of people would have discounted it because they they may be medicated or they might be this or they might be that or like, oh, don't tell somebody that this is happening or it was shunned or whatever. And I think, you know, we're in 2023. It's a different time. Hopefully. I mean, (laughs) we're moving backwards in a lot of ways, but, um, (laughs) you know, hopefully there's more acceptance around that as well. And, and hopefully mentioning that gives support. I know that comes forward in readings all the time that so-and-so was there when they passed. And there's almost validation too. Like, yes, they were talking about seeing their grandma at the time when they were passing. And it was like a piece of validation that comes through. Cause I, I constantly, constantly am being shown that their, their loved ones were around them oh, when they wow. passed. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And the more healthcare workers talk about it, the more they'll realize that, you know, like I can say as a healthcare worker, I don't know why it happened. I don't know why it happens. I don't necessarily have to, I don't have to say this is why, you know, I don't know why it happens. I just know it does. Right. So let's be normal Mm -hmm. about it. Let's talk about it. And it does have to be this weird Mm -hmm. thing that we don't discuss. And I think if you do that as a healthcare worker showing up and saying how not weird it is and actually educating about it, I think it gives a lightness to it where it's okay. We don't have to always have answers. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I know you guys on Mm -hmm. the other end of it are saying like, this is kind of the answer. They actually are there and in general. Okay. Like it doesn't, we don't have to know why we just know it happens and let's go with it. (laughs) Especially if it's not causing you any problems. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If it gives, and I think at the end of the day, it gives them comfort. Right. And that's why their loved ones show up is to comfort them and to help them along the journey. Exactly. Exactly. Just so cool. That's so cool. So what are some things I think, you know, going back to death is that uncomfortable conversation. So somebody's loved one has been put on hospice or somebody's family member has been put on hospice. What do you do for somebody's family when they've, when they've been put on hospice and you're on the outside looking in, how can you support somebody's family um, that is dealing with somebody in hospice or, you know, they have a they're on hospice or their family members been put on hospice. How can we support somebody who's going through this process? I think it will depend on how close you are. Right. But let's just go with like, you're close to them. (laughs) So I think offering time, um, it's really tough. We don't want to just say, let me know if you need anything because, and I'm guilty of that too, because they're going to say, okay. And then not ever ask for help. Right. So um, you could either say, I freaking mean this. You tell me what I'm going to check in with you every day and you let me know what's going on. If you need groceries, if you need, uh, um, if you need a time out. So if you need me to come over at night so you can go take a shower or, 
Um, if you need me to buy groceries for you and have them get, get delivered. Um, so you could either kind of get real with them and like kind of get them to see that like you mean business and you really want to show up or you can just show up or you can just sort of like be that person who just shows up with coffee. Like don't make, don't make it about you. Don't make it, you know, it's like one of those things where you kind of just show up, give the coffee, show up, give the croissants and leave. Or um, if you've been hearing them say, like, I just don't have time to go to the post office or go to this, da, 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 da. you show up for a period of time at night so they can do those things or you go do, do those things for them. This is like an all hands on deck kind of thing. And I think, especially in America, I guess I can only speak for America. Um, we're super individualistic. We don't want to ask for help. We don't want to get too, like, I don't know. And we really, I really think a lot of us suffer because we're not in community. Um, and I know we can't just like suddenly make that happen, but if you can, if you can learn, if you're the person who's in hospice or, you know, the person caring for the person in hospice, ask for help. If someone's saying, what can I do for you? At, tell them. <laughs> take mm-hmm. this letter to the post office. You can go give me groceries. Can you bring over coffee? I need uh, like an hour to get out of the house and go for a walk. And can you sit with my loved one for a while? Can you buy me briefs for my loved one or gloves? Of course, hospitals should be doing that, but you know what I mean? Like um, mm-hmm. ask for help and give help. And if someone's not saying something, I would say, just show up. Just show mm-hmm. up. I love that. Yeah. Now, how many patients does the average hospice worker see at a time? Ooh, that's a great question. I can go on and on and on because that talks about nursing ratios, which differ from place to place. Um, in general, you get a case manager. So that nurse is a case manager. And you'll get X amount of patients uh, kind of in and out, right? Because they're going to die and come on and come off, depending. So usually about anywhere from 13 to like 18. So 18 is like way max. Now, some people listening are probably like, what, 18? Because they are not unionized. So it's good to work in a state like California, where I work, and to be unionized, which is very few and far between. But I happen to be unionized. So we have a union that says you can only have 13 patients, which is pretty wild because that's a, that's a pretty good number to do really good care. Um, but other places, other states that don't have that regulation – they could try because they know it's a lot for the nurse, but sometimes depending on zip codes, you can have 18, 19, 20, and you can do it. It's just really, it's just tough. So if you're ever getting on to hospice, like as a patient, um, or if you're a nurse wanting to work in hospice, ask them, what's your caseload? You know, what's your average caseload? Because if they're averaging um, 18 to 20, that's, that's pretty tough, pretty tough to do, but mm-hmm. they can do it. You know, there's not like... I don't think there's any kind of legal thing saying you can or cannot unless you're unionized. So nurses unionized. (laughs) Yes. Yes, for sure. Um, And so like, what's one thing, Ooh, I got like a bunch of questions for you. Like what's one thing that you wish you could have known before starting? Oh God, I wish I could have known. I think it all comes down to, to nursing. So, okay. So there's a couple things. So one, as an ICU Mm -hmm. nurse, I was trained to keep people alive. I thought I knew everything. I worked mm-hmm. at Johns Hopkins, like a really good hospital where that's where I started my nursing career. I felt like this is the ultimate, you know, and I'm so grateful I did that. I did learn a lot, but I just didn't know anything about death and dying. It took me a good like year and a half in hospice to like really see what 
it was like for a dying body. Like I didn't know. I would have not known that like you shouldn't give a dying body hydration. I would have like died on that hill as an ICU nurse. <laughs> like we give everybody fluid, you know? So that's one thing. I just didn't understand that the body was built to die. And if you leave it alone, it will do a bunch of crazy things to help it die. Like it's wild. That to me is miraculous right there. Even though we're dying, it still feels miraculous. Now on the other end of that, as far as nursing goes, I love my job because of how, because of how I've made it my, like, um, and, and this is what I mean by that. So like I took a, my second hospice nursing job at a really big company that needs help all the time. And I took a per diem position, which means I only technically have to work four days a month, but of course I have to like survive in LA. So I have to work more than four days a month. So I usually work about four days a week or five days a week sometimes because they always need you because it's a big place. Right. So I can come and go as I please because I work per diem um, I'm unionized, so they can't force you to do overtime or force you to do things that you don't have time to do. You can say no a lot. You have really good boundaries and they can't really do anything. So it's really created this like love for nursing because I have this like control around it. If that makes sense. So before I did that, I didn't know that was possible. And I kind of just begrudgingly worked 40 to 50 hours a week took all the forced overtime, did that, like did all the things I thought you had to do as a nurse. And then you end up exhausted and burnt out. And you're like, I thought I love this. And I don't, I don't love this anymore because you just can't, I, personally me, I couldn't do it. So that's the one thing I wish I knew is that, and I did eventually figure it out that I had the power to kind of make my nursing career work for me. And everyone mm -hmm. can do that. Everyone can do that. I know people are probably listening right now thinking they can't, because they have children or they have this or they need health insurance. They can't do it. You can, you can, or at least try because nurses are freaking needed. Now you got me on my soapbox, Matt, you got me on my soapbox. Go for Speak it, girl. It. Here, here, let me give you another <laughs> level. Needed everywhere. We are the, like they need us. We don't need them. Not, not people, not patients. Mm -hmm. I mean, hospitals and administration. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like I'm fighting the man, but, um, yeah, it's like you're needed and you can make your career work for you. I have made more money now, and I'm not talking about social media stuff. I mean, as a nurse, I have made more money now mm -hmm. paying for my own insurance, not getting PTO and just working per diem because you get paid more and working when I want to work and putting my hours in when I wanted to and then not. And I made more money doing that than I ever did as a full-time nurse. So you can do it. You just got to find the right place, right? It takes the time. I mean, I've been a nurse for 15 years, so mm -hmm. it took some time. Mm -hmm. But um, I should do a whole nother TikTok about this. <laughs> I should do a whole nother <laughs> because, yeah. yes, because that's how I'm able to love my job is because the way I do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love you and boundaries. That's one of my, that's when I knew I loved you when you were like, let me talk about boundaries. Cause I was like, that's my girl right yeah. there. Cause, <laughs> but because it, it can be nursing, but it can be everything mm -hmm. else in life. Boundaries, like it, people will take advantage yes. of you. If you give people an inch, they will take a yeah. mile. So you have to have boundaries. Especially life. when it's you coming to people, to. people will always be like, but the person suffering. Okay. So Oh God, don't get me. Yeah. I mean, don't get me started. Like they just will pull at the heartstrings, which is like, so, you know, like if mm -hmm. you don't do it, no one will do it. False. <laughs> That's not true. 
there are uh, there's another person coming on call right now at five o'clock and they might not get done at three o'clock like you want it but it will get done at five o'clock and and it's not my problem like okay so people think it's selfish to say that's not my problem right that's your problem administrator who didn't hire enough nurses um and then and then people get uh well then the, the patient suffers that's not what I want, but also you're saying that my well-being is less. <laughs> my well-being is less than this person's and my well-being is less than the next nurse. Or like it's we all have our well-being that we need to take care of. And if we need to fight against this society that's making us believe that we need to give 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 more of ourselves until we want to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my god, you guys we can't part from an empty cup. We can cup. edit this out if you need and, to. And, and you're a, no, no. But you're, you're a better nurse yes. because you're pouring from a full yes, cup. Yes, yes, yes. So in the long mm-hmm. run, it all matters. I get the argument of like the patient suffers. That's what we're trying to say as nurses. The patient still suffers either way because you're getting me at half of what I could actually give you. That's not fair to them either. What's fair is hiring nurses at right. a, 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 an appropriate wage with an appropriate work-life balance. That's and 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 the hospital make less money because they do that. <laughs> I, look, girl, I came from the corporate world, and it's the same way. You're just a cog yes. in the machine. Put your head down, be quiet, and show up when yes. we need you. And I burnt my I burnt yes. myself out. And I wasn't the best leader for my team. I was a, I was a manager and I wasn't the best manager. Uh, so we got to have work-life yes. balance and we've got to take care of ourselves. And it, it you've got to stick up for yourself and boundaries yeah. are the way to do it. And, and um, yeah, I mean, I only know that because I didn't do that for so many years, right? And I'm so passionate because mm-hmm. now I mm-hmm. am and I see, oh my God, it's so much better and it's doable. You can do it. You can do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, but- what you're saying was really valid for nursing, right? But going fully back to like that family on hospice that needs something. Yes. Mm-hmm. Knowing when you don't have to exhaust yourself. If you're the family member with your loved one on hospice, you don't have to do everything. Mm-hmm. Yes. You can ask for help. You can ask for support. You don't have, I think... You going back, I, I feel like I'm this is all going full circle, like this individualistic yeah. society that you're talking about. We can do more together than we can separately, yes. right? And mm-hmm. just being more balanced, having boundaries, saying, I've had enough, I need a break, and asking for help when we need help, saying no. <laughs> you know, I think that's really, really, really important. Yeah. I think it, it really yes. is. And sometimes it can feel like, because I because I hear this from people, that sounds great, but I really can't do that. I really, they'll be like, I really have no one. You know, I really have no one. It's just me. It's just, so in those cases, because I believe that, I'm not, I don't want to not validate that. But in those cases, it's like, there's always something. Like, like be the squeaky wheel at the hospice company, right? Talk to that social worker, figure out, are there solutions in the community of people who can, like we had, I just found out there's, um, I wish I could think of the name of it, but it's like a group of nuns. I can't think of the name of them that come to the house for free and sit with your loved one while you go do whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, there's always things like that where, and then some people, sometimes people will say, well, I don't want to leave them with such and such. It's like, no, you got to take care of yourself. Take 
the help you can get and believe that you're worth it and take care of yourself because it's so important. And there's always a way. There's always Agreed. a way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's that quality time. Going full circle, hospice is about quality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not quantity, but quality. Yeah. Can I say one last thing about money really quick? Again, easy for me to say, right? It. But a lot of people, I'll say, like, they don't have the money, right? They, and they don't. They don't have the money to pay for um, for caregivers or pay for this, blah, blah, blah. They don't have the money. But but there's, but what will happen, and sometimes that that's true, okay? But if there is money somewhere, right, in the house or in they're like, um, in retire, not their retirement, but the person who's dying's retirement, something where they, they don't, Oh, we don't want to touch that yet. I hear that a lot. We don't want to touch that money for whatever reason, not because of selfish reason, just because they think they shouldn't yet. Or I don't, I mm-hmm. do it. <laughs> if there is mm-hmm. some, some way to get some money from something, get it. This is the time. This is the time where, especially if you're exhausted and can't keep doing this and there is some uh, money tied up somewhere, get and you, but you didn't want to touch it until you were whatever. Or, you know, there's always reasons why they don't want to touch that yet. I've, I've dealt with this so much that I want to talk about it because it's like, no, this is the time to t- don't, maybe don't mm-hmm. take all the money out or take some of that out. Even if you could have a break and have a caregiver twice a week so you can go do the things, do it. You will not regret it because you need the time and space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're not, you're not selfish, selfish for doing, doing that. It. I think a lot of, yes. a lot of people feel selfish for leaving their loved one that's passing on with somebody else. And you know, it's, it's not selfish. What selfish is doing it and holding on to that. And I don't want to say martyrdom, but like just walking around with that guilt and, you know, taking that time for yourself to recharge so you can be there. Uh, that's worth it. And the, when you said the money thing, that's what it's there for. That's what it's there for. Or they're saying, oh, I'm going to wait till they're more sick later. No, <laughs> no. Yeah. Do it now. Do it now. Or even with visiting too. I'm going to wait till they're more sick to visit. No, no. Visit now. Just because just, you never know. Mm-hmm. Just do it now. This is the time. These last few you're not going to regret it. Conversely, like you were saying towards the end, when they're in that actively dying phase, they're not they're not aware or, or they're not, they're not going to be able to talk back to you. You know, they're, you're not going to have that back and forth conversation that you're really hoping to have with them. So go and Mm -hmm. see them early, go and make the schedules of with family members. If you do have people that want to help with family or friends that are like, I want to help. Okay. Let's get you on the schedule. Um, you know, I know I had a family member uh, that was put on hospice and that was the first thing we did. We got a schedule together and it was like, okay, so-and-so has this day, so-and-so has this day. And we just started parsing it out right yeah, away. And I think that was one of the smartest things that we could do. Don't wait, Don't wait. to do that. Don't wait. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- I think we uh, learned that this episode's all about not regretting anything. <laughs> it's kind of what it is. Uh, because even if like, I see a lot of people have guilt that they didn't make it in time when the person was lucid. And uh, they're like, well, they're there. And I just, I feel like I said everything and they couldn't hear me. And uh, spirit knows, spirit knows. Because a lot of the time they come through and they're fully aware of exactly who was in the room with them. And spirit has also told me that they've had a crush on their hospice. (gasps) Really? And they didn't even have their eyes open. Yeah, it was really cool. It was really awesome. So, Was her name Julia? 
I don't know, Julie. I, I could have been. It could have been. They said that hot blonde. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, I could be a number of people. <laughs> but really, just do do everything that feels right for you in the moment. Yeah. Don't wait. Don't yeah. wait. But I think in the end, you know, death is actually a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And it's it's part of life. Like death is part of life. And it's nothing to be scared of. And it's something, it's sacred. You know, I want to return back to that word of being sacred. It's returning home and it's honoring a life lived. Yes. Couldn't agree more. So thank you, Julie. This was amazing. And where can people find you? You know, there's a couple of things. Like, I know you're going to say where we can find you, but you have a, I know you're writing a book. That's what I was doing before you guys. That that takes a long time, by the way. I didn't know all this. So if you want to find me, I'm on all social media, like Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, at the same name, Hospice Nurse Julie. So you can find me there. Um, In person, Nurse Penny and I, Hospice Nurse Penny, if you guys don't know her, she's also on all social media. Her and I are doing an in-person retreat in North Carolina. Yeah, I know. Ooh. That came about like randomly. It was so, so, so amazing. So if you're interested in that, that's also on all my social media platforms. You can just, there's like a little link you can click. And then I'm writing a book, but the book is, it's tough to promote the book because we're just in the editing phases now. And then it takes a year to fully publish. So it's not going to be fully published and ready for pre-order until next year. So it's like something to look forward to, but uh, it's going to be a while. I'm looking forward yeah. to it. We'll just have yes, to invite you course, back to talk about course. the book. That's fine. Yes, I'm excited. <laughs> so what's going to happen at this retreat? Because we want to promote this retreat. And we'll put a link for that mm-hmm. retreat in the in the show notes. Yes. But what, what's Thank happening you. at well, this retreat? Well, it's in the, the, art of, the Art of Living, I think it's called, which is ironic because this is about death and dying. But it's called the Art, and it's in Boone, North Carolina. I've never been, but the, the place looks amazing. It's like in the mountains. Most anyone's welcome. It's mostly going to be about what our TikToks are about, right? Preparing for death, talking about death, explaining death, and just taking this small group of people and hearing their why about why they wanted to come, right? And preparing, um, preparing them for death, whether it's theirs or their loved ones. And it's a lot of education, a lot of fun, a lot of just talking and and being together. We're gonna have some things that they'll actually fill out and do prepare and be in groups. And I picture it being like a retreat where everyone's connecting and supporting each other, learning a lot and leaving there feeling like rejuvenated just from being, just from being there. That's what we hope. We haven't done one yet, so we'll see. But I think that nurse Penny and I doing it together, it'll be fun. It'll be really fun. Oh, it'll be a blast. I think it'll be really fun. Even though it sounds like a retreat about death and dying. I think it's going to be great. And fun, yeah. Oh, Dana, Dana, will you want to go? <laughs> yeah, right. Let's, let's go ahead. Let's go hang out and talk yeah. about death. Yeah, let's go do it. I mean, it's our favorite yeah. topic. We just talk. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I love it. We just talk about it in a different way. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Julie. This was amazing. We just adore you. And everybody, make sure you're following Hospice Nurse Julie on all of those platforms, and make sure you stay tuned for that book coming out. And we love oh, you, thank you, guys. Hospice Nurse Julie. Thank you so great. much. Yes. Thank you so much. We love you all. All right, Dana Whaley. Well, let's transition this to the other side on Spotify and wherever you listen to your podcast, because I just want to say I love you all. You're in my heart. Goodbye, everybody. And Dana, take it away. You are the light of 100,000 suns. You are the light. We'll see you next time.
Bye. That was, a, oh, that was romantic. Did I? Oh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye, everybody.